Hi, I'm Xavier McFarlane, and welcome to the Catholic City Podcast from the Mary Foundation. Today's episode features Jose Polito, a professional evangelization coach and the founder of At The Service. He has coached at universities, Fortune 500 companies, and various nonprofits. He received an MBA from Yale University and spent over a decade practicing what he calls ultra-difficult evangelization. We discuss how Jose effectively invented a new niche for coaching evangelization, the problem of poor execution in the quote-unquote traditional methods used to evangelize, the importance of practical, learnable skills, Jose's novel approach of combining modern behavioral economics with the beautiful depth of scripture, and more. By the end of this episode, you'll have an idea of what it means to talk like Mary, dream like St. Joseph, and make things new like Jesus. But first, if you want to learn more about Catholicism or are looking for materials to evangelize family, friends, and fellow parishioners, please visit the Mary Foundation at catholiccity.com to order our Catholic scapulars, books, booklets, medals, and best-selling novels by Bud McFarlane. Sign up for Bud's Catholic City message, where he's been sharing profound insights, sage advice, and crazy stories for over 25 years. We are also the world's largest distributor of the Purple Scapular, given by Mary to the approved French mystic Marie-Julie Jehenny in the late 1800s. You can learn more at our website, catholiccity.com. Good morning, Jose. How are you doing? Good morning, Xavier. Doing very well. All right. We're here with Jose Polito and Anthony Mancini and myself, Xavier McFarland from the Mary Foundation. And well, first off, how was your flight? How was it getting in this morning? Oh, it was good. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Uh, had some great neighbors that kept to like their own general area, you know, elbow wise. So it's like, oh, good. Everybody here is a friendly neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you, what do you want to share today? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about ultra difficult evangelization. Like how can we make evangelization in even the most difficult situations life-giving? And why is this important? A number of reasons, right? Um, perhaps your your audience has heard, you know, the statistics in terms of Catholics in our church. Uh, for every one that enter, about six and a half leave. So it's like, wow, you know, evangelization is really, what, you know, the name of the game if we want to support our church. And the second part, even at a personal level, is if Christ himself is calling us to share the faith, um, it should at least sometimes feel like it's life-giving, especially with family and the holidays or coworkers or, you know, a high school friend who's now fallen away. So there's all these opportunities to evangelize where if we figure out how to make them life-giving and productive for Catholics, then we might have this like wonderful cascade of life-giving evangelization. You know, we got to fill the pews, fill the hearts. How'd you end up in this line of work because it kind of seems like you invented it like there's not really evangelization coaches out there there's like matthew kelly and father mike schmitz who are, are evangelizing at scale but it doesn't seem like what you do is a thing so how'd you end up doing a thing that isn't a thing yeah yeah <laughs> for sure how do i end up doing a thing that isn't a thing uh uh essentially there are a few things that happened uh, one is I was always interested in how to share the faith in an ultra difficult situation, uh, whether it was working at a very, very secular, uh, company, uh, you know, I worked at a Japanese invest investment firm, uh, essentially. And they're like, they were so secular. They didn't even know 
how the Gospel of Matthew ended. Like, they could look at the end and say, whoa, he resurrected. That's a plot twist. <laughs> type of deal. So very, like, blank slate. Uh, all the way to the other end of, let's say, an antagonistic work culture or, or campus culture. And in each situation, I found that it is possible to evangelize. And we need to tell this to, like, every Catholic out there, that it is possible to talk about the faith with people that very much disagree with us uh, in a manner that results in mutual respect and appreciation. Like, when David ran towards the battle, he ran for a number of reasons. Uh, he ran because he knew that God's strength was enough. And he also ran because he knew that at the end of the battle, he would have the crown. And it's like, wow, what if we told Catholics, listen, with what the scripture teaches us with, uh, you know, current communication and leadership skills, uh, with evangelizing in the style of the Holy Family, like that is that 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 will carry you through the battle of sharing the faith in the dinner table in your workplace. Um, and it'll give you life and it'll give your friends life, your family life uh, sort of thing. So that, that I think that's something that we all need. Yeah, for sure. How would you develop your methods? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Three ways. Uh, one was trial and error, basically, for 15 years. Like, oh, let's try this. Oh, that definitely didn't work. Uh, oh, hey, this this was pretty good. I'll, I'll try that again. Uh, so trial and error for about 15 years. And again, in these difficult environments. Uh, two is I applied basically everything I learned in undergrad and graduate school uh, to uh, evangelization. So I, I got a degree at George Washington University for international affairs and economics. It's like, oh, yeah, how does anthropology apply? How does economics apply? And then when I went to Yale for my uh, MBA, since I happened to focus in strategy and communications, it's like, whoa, how, how does this stuff apply? And, and really, that, so that, that's the second pillar, like this, this education. And the third is uh, I had an experience with the Holy Family Nazareth. And it turns out they're like really good at evangelizing. Uh, so uh, when you combine all three, then we have these really uh, neat life-giving workshops uh, where, again, the goal is, you know, our, our church has a lot of mysteries. Evangelization does not have to be one of them. Uh, so let's just make it really simple, make it really attainable, and make it really natural. Um, you know, how can you evangelize in a way that feels natural to your person? Uh, and that can help build connection. Is this a response to a failure in the global church to evangelize, or is it uh, a, your, you making your mark kind of a nuanced way of going about evangelization that hasn't been tried before in your mind? Yeah, like I, it's, it's sort of like um, when, when Catholics gather, you know, imagine one one situation where they gather and they say, wow, just stu the, the culture is real rough and things are impossible. And the culture basically ran away with my cousin. And there's potentially another conversation that Catholics could have where it's the culture is tough um, and I have fallen away family or friends. And this is the strategy I'm going to try this Thanksgiving. This is what I'm going to do for prayer. This is going to what I'm going to do for literally practice. This is how I'm going to practice these techniques. Um, and let's see what, what, what happens here. And then we do trial and error. 
you know, like, um, uh, again, I'm not a theologian per se. Um, however, I love the scriptures. It's like, you know, sometimes God entrusts us something. And when we entrust it back to God, we may be rejecting him. So if God is entrusting to you, like evangelize your family, evangelizing your friends, like it's like, oh, wow, I really need to do this by virtue of having this identity of responsibility. Like I am a brother, therefore I must do so. Um, I am a son, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that, that's really important just to live like a good Catholic life. And the other thing is like I spend a lot of time uh, telling folks like if, if evangelization feels like you're punching yourself in the face, you should probably stop punching yourself in the face. Um, and it's sort of like, you, you know, <laughs> I love that our, our, our faith is about logic. But it's like, oh, yeah, if, if A, then B. If punch face, stop. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah, just try something new. Try this communication skill. Mm -hmm. Try this thing. Then lastly, um, I try to talk about evangelization in terms of skills. Why is that? Um, we have... Uh, quite a few well-catechized Catholics in various urban areas or, you know, sort of like centers of population. And for those Catholics, it's not like they don't know about the Eucharist. Granted, a lot of Catholics don't know about the Eucharist, but those particular Catholics, they know. Um, or they do know about Mary. They do know about Joseph, etc. Most of the questions they have is like, I know all this stuff and I love the church. I just don't know how to send the text. I just don't know how to have the conversation without us yelling at each other. And it's like once we equip those Catholics, then they'll even start running towards the conversations. I, I've had people that attend retreats and then at the end of the before even the retreat ends, they start calling a family member with whom they haven't talked for about five years. Then they have a beautiful conversation. Uh, I had another person after just one coaching session. Um, basically, she and her daughter would just fight anytime they were in a room. It was sort of like put them in a room and then three seconds later fight, right? Uh, three weeks after a first coaching session, uh, the daughter initiated hugging and the daughter started to go to Sunday Mass with her mom. And the daughter was in her 30s. So yeah. did not have to go to Sunday Mass, right? I guess another way to rephrase my question, I'm trying to just determine what makes your ministry unique in terms of evangelization. So what's the, at least, I guess, since we're all in the United States, we can speak to the church in the United States, how they go about evangelizing. How is your method yeah. uh, for at the service different? What do you offer that's different? But I, I'm curious as to what the traditional means of evangelizing is these days. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think... Um, uh, typically, uh, at least what I've experienced is a lot of evangelization training revolves around like uh, love your neighbor, have faith, you know, hope, like desire good things. It's like, wow, th this is great stuff, right? Like it's basically catechesis. Like, yeah, I should love my neighbor and I, I should have faith in the Lord and I should desire good things. Um, the, where the sort of like hiccup happens is an execution. It's like, okay. Uh, how do I love my sibling who's now cohabitating? What do I do without needing to go to confession? Because I want to love them, but what does that mean? It's like, all right, here's this, here's this listening skill. Try this listening skill so that, you know, uh, you can build the emotional connection with that sibling uh, w without, you know, um, uh, without uh, unnecessarily staining your soul. 
so, so threading those needles, right? Um, and the other part is revisiting the Holy Family in, in a practical way. And I know a lot of Catholics are like, oh, he said the P word, practical. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'll start right this way. What, audience, what if every Catholic in America dreamed like St. Joseph, talked like Our Lady, and made things new like Our Lord? Like, that'd be a great church, right? Yeah. Yeah, so let's dig in. Let's, how does Our Lady talk? You know, she talks this way. She talks in a very connective way. How does St. Joseph dream? Wow, no wonder he's like the example of leadership. Uh, you know, uh, and then how does Our Lord make things new? Like, these are surprisingly practical questions that have amazing impact in our individual lives. And, surprisingly practical answers if like you brought us through a couple examples before we started recording like you can just look at the gospel and be like well what word structure did jesus use how did paul introduce his letters when he was making a connection with the church of antioch like it's in there and it's not just hunky dunky old-fashioned language because it's the bible that was translated but it's it's like oh what if i tried that that's kind of what you're doing exactly yeah it's like, how do I send the text? Let's look at how Our Lady talks. How do I strategize about evangelizing my family? Let's look at how St. Joseph dreams. And, and when we get into that, it's, it becomes quite freeing because, again, it's in, in communion with, with uh, God's mind, right? In communion with the Word. Uh, we really see, like, oh, there is a natural way for me to evangelize that makes... Uh, makes me come alive in the faith and really gives a best shot for the other person to genuinely connect with the faith. Um, yeah, like there, there's so many examples. Uh, something that stands out, let's say, uh, regarding Our Lady is that she talks very much from the heart. You look at the start of the Magnificat, uh, you know, like she's just, you know, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in, in God, my Savior. It's like, wow, she's describing her emotions of awe and joyful gratitude. And like, how often have you heard someone describe Our Lady as someone who shares her emotions? What's the first thing uh, she tells our Lord after she finds him at the temple? You know, your father and I have been looking for you everywhere with great anxiety. <laughs> so how is she feeling? Anxious. Oh, it turns out that there's at least two snapshots then in the Bible of the Immaculate Heart literally being shared where she's describing her emotions. Uh, and it's like, wow, if we want it to be like Our Lady, we may want to figure out how can it be expressive just like mom. And then again, for her, it's not, it's not just that she's expressive. She's also incredibly contemplative. There's nobody else in scriptures that's described as pondering things in her heart or, or his heart. And Our Lady is described that way twice. Oh, my gosh. That's like double underline. So not only is she expressive, but she's also contemplative. So we have this, like, no wonder she's so great at communication. She thinks about what she's going to say. And, like, this brings a lot of relief, I think, at least to me, because if the person who is full of grace um, finds that part of her spiritual life is discerning what the Lord has done in her life and then expressing it. It's like, wow, that I can do that too. Um, 
And then we look at uh, at Saint Joseph um, and his dreams. Like, how many saints do you know where every dream that's recorded is about Our Lady and Jesus? Like that's Saint Joseph. Every single one of his dreams are about Jesus and Mary. And it's like, okay, so I like where this is going as head of the Holy Family. Okay, St. Joseph, let's dig in. And every single one of his dreams have a structure of truth, therefore action, therefore leadership. And that's amazing. Because while Our Lady's discernment of what the Word has done in her life is experiential, like the shepherds came and she contemplated that in her heart. And she saw, she found our Lord in the temple, and she kept all these things in her heart. For Saint Joseph, it's, you know, each dream is something like, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Well, what does one do with their wife? Take her into your home. Take her unto thee, according to Dewey Rames. So, like, yeah, it's it's very logical, like truth, therefore action. And what's stunning about Joseph is. He wakes up from the dream and then leads. He's like, hey, Mary, come over. Like, time to move in. Um, or, oh, I've been warned in the dream. We're going to go to Egypt right now. Sort of thing. And he leads. Like, that's amazing. Um, so, you know, how many people are saying we need to talk about leadership and as a foundation for action and capital T truth? Unfortunately, that's scarce. And on the other hand, how many people are saying our personal experiences are something that we should really discern and try to express so as to really fortify the, the, the Catholic Church? Like, some people are shy about that too. And it's like, we literally see Our Lady talking this way and St. Joseph dreaming and leading this way. And then, of course, like, there's Jesus. Uh, you know, how can I make things new like Jesus? And gosh, the amount of faith he has in people is astounding. Uh, the Garrison Demoniac, I love that story because uh, I identify with him so much. Um, I, I sometimes get a little overwhelmed with it because literally you have an example of someone who was a vessel for demons become a vessel for the word. A vessel for demons became a vessel for the word. And the the was that that was the one with the pigs or no that was the yes. guy okay the guy in the yeah okay and I want to highlight certain excerpts about that 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 Bible verse that Bible excerpt because oftentimes we focus uh, again on the pigs um, yeah <laughs> and and we there's this one phrase that is so countercultural. In, in every sense of the word. I want to say even within Catholic circles. And that's the man, you know, basically the, after the pigs jump off the cliff, the town is concerned. It's like, oh no, we're losing our income. And this town was so bad, <laughs> so terrible, that when they see the man who was once possessed in his right mind, they are filled with fear. Can you imagine being part of a town where they would rather you be possessed? That's a good point. Like that, it, I, I could see them being shocked or like curious or like what the heck's going on, but 
filled with fears, pretty strong language. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, wait, why is that guy normal? Yeah. It's like, oh no, that, that okay. means what the, what the swineherd said was true. That he, basically he did the other, you know, Jesus did destroy our, our, our income. And it's like, darn, that's a bad town. So this guy's response is, Lord, I want to go with you. Pretty reasonable response, right? And this is like, I want to say the only person, maybe definitely one of the few people where our Lord says, do not follow me. He says, go home. Go home and tell, uh, I want to say it's your family. Tell your family what the Lord has done in his mercy for you. I think that is the most important phrase in, in, in that, in that excerpt, because oftentimes we're asking like, you know, have faith in the Lord, but it's like, what if you believed what the Lord thought about you? Like, what if every Catholic believed what the Lord says about them? Here, our Lord told uh, this guy who used to be a vessel for demons. Your testimony of what I have done is enough to bring people to the faith. And what's wild about that is that this is literally after the town kicked our Lord out. The town said, listen, please depart. And our Lord said, okay. And he sent forth the man. Yeah. And then he goes. And you know what's the very last phrase of that of that scripture? Of that 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 anecdote? And all were amazed. In literally, I want to say 20 verses. Someone goes from being a vessel of demons to being a vessel of the word. And then the, I, th I want to say the second miracle, quote unquote, is the courage and faith that our Lord gave that man to go to the Decapolis and share the faith. Think about it. How do you become a vessel of demons? You pro there's probably a lot of water under the bridge. Maybe that guy did a lot of bad stuff. And there's a lot of history there. And it's like, no, look. there. Yeah, there was that history. But the word, the second person in the Trinity, makes all things new. And that's amazing. Like in some ways, it brings more glory to our Lord. The fact that this man could tell the story. Because it's like, again, Satan's kingdom is, on, is a kingdom where the foundation is of, of toothpicks. One testimony from one guy whom everybody hated just two seconds ago was enough. Yes, that's a big lesson for us. Yeah, exactly. Especially with Thanksgiving coming around the corner and Christmas and, and New Year's. It's like, am, am I enough to bring back the word to my family? And it's like, if your goals are to bring, to listen with care, to share the truth with courage, right? To dream like St. Joseph, right? Then, yeah, you could totally have that impact that the man from Garrison did. Um, and I could go on and on about this. One of my favorite lines from scripture is from Tobit. And it was after they found out that, uh, uh, that the, the bridegroom wasn't killed by the demon. <laughs> Do you know the story? Cause in Tobit, literally the, uh, the, the seven bridegrooms in Rome were, were slain by a demon. <laughs> and it's like, they found out, oh, the, the guy's alive. This is great. 
But before that, they thought, oh, let's let's dig a uh, basically let's dig a grave preemptively, so that we can quickly bury him, in case he's dead, so people don't make fun of us. This is literally scripture, straight from from the Holy Spirit. Um, and then when the maid goes in and finds out, hey, he's alive, everybody's really happy, and there's this phrase everybody needs to like etch in their hearts, and it's like, we need to fill in the grave before dawn. It's like, wow, what does that mean? Fill in the grave before dawn. It's like, you know, if you, and it doesn't have to be necessarily be through me. Maybe you're researching communication skills, or maybe you listen to a great podcast and you're inspired. It's like, you know, now you're equipped with this new tool to bring the word, to bring life to your family, to your friends, to your colleagues, and fill in the grave. As in, stop thinking about that the same thing is going to happen again. It doesn't have to be a fight again. It doesn't have to be a stone wall again. It, it could be a dawn. It could be new. So fill in the grave. In other words, don't preemptively kill your own chances. Absolutely. Amen. Say it again. Don't preemptively kill your own chances. I, I, yeah. It's Put like, that on a mug and sell it on Etsy. There you go. <laughs> yeah. My Etsy is uh, cheap stuff you don't want at Etsy.com. <laughs> No offense to anyone who actually makes good stuff on Etsy. I love it. So, from what I understand, and I'm, I'm sure each of those um, aspiring to be like Our Lady Joseph and Our Lord are can, in fact, be mutually exclusive. But your strategy is to incorporate them in order, I'm assuming. Like they're, you know feel and be expressive like Our Lady and then dream like St. Joseph to lead in order to make things new in that order. Mm-hmm. Is it is that, how crucial is that to your, to the whole ethos of your ministry? Yeah, like order. Uh, typically with dudes, I like to start with St. Joseph and with gals, I like to start with Our Lady. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's it's because I guess I'm a misogynist or whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean that flippantly. Uh, it's, it's more like uh, when we get into the talk like Our Lady section, there's a lot of uh, discussion regarding emotion. And just nine times out of ten, it's easier to discuss emotion with the feminine mind. Um, and then when we talk about St. Joseph, there's a lot of questions of like purpose and value um, and doing stuff uh, at great sacrifice. And, you know, that, that just seems to resonate more with the masculine mind. Uh, I like to say that I've never met a veteran that risked his life for, like, three ninety nine at Walmart, right? I've met veterans that have risked their life uh, for America, for justice, for liberty. And, you know, and when you talk to a mom and you see she's exhausted, it's like, gee, why are you exhausted? Uh, it's like, oh, my, my child was crying all night. And I was trying to to help him or her, right? It's like, wow, that means that she understood the emotion of her child and was moved to do a great sacrifice through the night. And again, it's like there's this, uh, I think it's healthy to accept that some people are more motivated by emotion, which is essentially our body's history of personal experience, and that some folks are more motivated by values. Um, and once we get into that, it's like, oh, then we can really equip people for evangelization that is successful for them. Uh, for example, a lot of evangelization advice is accompaniment, like just be with someone. And I like to say that that's, that probably resonates and comes more naturally to the feminine mind. 
And you don't have to really look anywhere other than Calvary to figure that out. It's like, what was Our Lady and, you know, the female disciples doing? They were there accompanying Christ in the cross. Um, not a whole lot of people talk about evangelization in terms of skills that you can use to succeed. And I think that resonates more with the masculine mind, where it's like, how can you hit the home run? And that you can also see that in Calvary. Why is that? Well, when you ask the question of what are men doing at Calvary, you get a lot of awesome answers. Uh, you get Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross. Uh, you know, you get the centurion showing mercy on the body of Christ. You have the thief uh, proclaiming truth. Uh, you have Joseph of Arimathea showing proper worship and proper leadership, proactively requesting the body of Christ. You see men coming to conversion. There was a guy there who was doing nothing. And apparently that wasn't good. You know who that guy was? St. John. St. John. He was just kind of there. And he got like basically the most important job of all. <laughs> and it was, you know, protect my mother. Um, so again, like when we start asking these questions of like, who's at Calvary? Who's doing what at Calvary? We get to see like, oh, yeah, perhaps we should start with St. Joseph when it comes to teaching men evangelization techniques. And perhaps we should start with Our Lady when it comes to teaching um, ladies evangelization techniques. And ultimately, like, uh, of course, they were married. So it's not like they were, these are mutually exclusive. Eventually, we do need to touch on dreaming like St. Joseph for the, for the ladies and talking like Our Lady for, for the men. Um, but it's just, you know, where do we start? We should start where we're most comfortable, where we're strong. So let's do that. All right. You, you want to walk us through like a little example of each of these three, the talking like Mary, dreaming like Joseph and sharing the truth like Jesus. Is that yeah. how you phrase it? Yeah. Yeah. Or making things new like Jesus. Okay. Making so like uh, essentially um, when we're talking about talking like Our Lady, again, she talks about her emotions regarding God. So, you know, um, it could be as simple as uh, Anthony. Uh I presume you like to go to Mass, right? I do. Okay. Uh, and I presume you're a fan of receiving the, the Blessed Sacrament. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> Not too wild here yes. at the very foundation. <laughs> okay. When, when you receive the Eucharist, how do you feel? Renewed, in a sense. Almost a surreal yeah. um, sort of experience. You feel renewed yeah. and you feel it's a real experience. Okay. Mm -hmm. So someone says, let's say uh, flippantly, like, oh, why are you going to daily mass again? Didn't you do that yesterday? It's like, well, when I go to, when I go to mass, I feel renewed. It's like, wow. You know, you're making a deep uh, statement regarding your personal experience at the heart level. And if nothing else, it reveals your personality. And in revealing your personality and what you're actually feeling, then at least the other person has a chance to like humanize this conversation. So that's great. You know, we want we want people to see Anthony the the person, mm. and to be able to associate something as wonderful as a mass with with uh, with virtuous human emotion. Uh, is it good for a Catholic to feel renewed when they receive the Eucharist? Pretty good. Or anyone in general. Because I, yeah. one of like the, the flip side of the coin of these methods, it seems like, is it sort of 
stops in the tracks a lot of the negative responses people can often have. Like one thing we probably all hear a lot, maybe not directly, is, oh, he just thinks he's holier than me. Like the better than thou high horse attitude that is often misinterpreted. I'm sure there's people out there who are like that genuinely. But it's like, oh, why do you go to daily mass? Or I go to daily mass. And they're like, oh, you're just like in their head, you're just trying to be holy. That's why you're telling me you think you're so great. This way it's like, oh, you actually just enjoy it. You get something out of it. That's a normal, like you're renewed. Everybody yeah. likes to be renewed. So it dispels this, you're just bragging sentiment or you're holier than thou. It's more of just, hey, I actually care about this. You actually care about, yes, exactly. And that's the thing. And one of the things you said, I was just like, yes, it's exactly that idea. Or it's a normal thing. Like it's, I'm talking about something I love doing. How awesome is that? Uh, like a lot of times I'm teaching evangelization skills. What I'm really doing is like, let's have a normal conversation. Um, it's like, yeah, like, why do you go to mass? Do you go to mass? Like, honestly, because of uh, a syllogism you read on Catholic Answers? Or do you go to mass because it's like it, it connects, it gives you purpose because you're connected to an ancient tradition? Or do you go to mass because you see our gentle, uh, our, our lady's tender hand? during the consecration like th th like and and perhaps you do go because of a syllogism maybe you're just a huge fan of logic uh describe how you feel about that logic right that coherence that integrity that the church brings that foundation of safety for the the structure of the mind um that's sort of like um talking with that conviction from deep down in our purpose in our heart is right up there with how our lady talks and then when it comes to like dreaming like St. Joseph in a very practical way, one of the amazing things about his first dream, ah, I, I, I've literally, I could do a whole weekend retreat on just Matthew 1. Matthew 1, that, that dream, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Like that too. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> it's, it's Matthew 1 20 and mm -hmm. it's uh, Joseph son of David fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins That that's a two sentence dream now why is it so important that it's two sentences okay so when you're looking through Matthew 1 in the genealogy, there's this one very interesting line that the Holy Spirit put there through St. Matthew. And that's in Matthew 1, 6. And Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon of her who had been the wife of Urias. Interesting. Was it necessary to put that clause there of her who had been the wife of Urias? Like, of course it's necessary because the Holy Spirit spoke it. But, like, if the goal is just to point out that he's the Messiah, do we need to put that? It must be there for another reason. And I think it was there to highlight that maybe the Davidic line did not have such a great relationship with the word all the time. Like that line intimates, insinu insinuates truly that David the king broke at least three commandments. Yeah, because 
I'm I'm not a, you know an expert in the biblical genealogy, but it sounds like it was somebody else's wife. It totally was somebody Bathsheba. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it absolutely was. And then the he basically uh David had him killed. <laughs> okay, so that's alluding to that. This is <laughs> Exactly. This is alluding to that thing. So in the genealogy they're like, by the way, one of Jesus's ancestors was his wife who had her husband murdered by the king of Israel. Absolutely. And and Jesus is the son of David. So like, whoa, we're mentioning this about you know, like the very foundation of the Davidic line basically. <laughs> so it's like, why? And it's, I, I think what it paints to me is that throughout the genealogy, God has been trying to get closer to man, trying to get closer to humanity. And just after each generation gives more word, more word, more word. By the time David came around, you know, there was like a ton of word, right? The Ten Commandments. And then by the time, and then with Solomon, not only did Solomon have like the Ten Commandments, but he also had basically like, like the best wisdom. Right. And then and just the Lord gives more and more and more. And then St. Joseph, it's like, will things be different? He will have a chance to receive truly the fullness of the word. Will he be better? And there was this point where he's considering separating himself from the Holy Family. And I think many uh, church fathers um, hypothesize or say that it's because he felt he wasn't adequate, that he wasn't fit. So then the dream starts off with Joseph, son of David. Literally, first four words are to you, highlight. Oh, you are worthy. Yes. Yes. Some of the hardest exercises I do in retreats, my hardest time, the most difficult, are getting people to view themselves as God might view them. It's like, can you create, uh, can you discern what God's title of honor might be for you? So anywho, but again, these two sentences. So after this dream, he wakes up and does the will of God. And that is a huge page turn in the Davidic line. Two sentences, like you combine two sentences, righted what was going to happen. <laughs> Before those two sentences, the Davidic line was not going to be connected to the Messiah. <laughs> Before those two sentences, uh, Mary, with child, was uh, exposed to the danger of stoning. Uh, before those two sentences, uh, Joseph was literally going to make the worst mistake of his whole life. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the track record of his genealogy was not too great. Most of the stories of the Davidic <laughs> line are, and this is how he screwed up, and this is how he screwed up. Solomon was wise, but this is how he screwed up. I think he worshipped at a thousand temples or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that, that's like even worse. Idolatry. And he had ultimate wisdom. So like, dang, he dropped the ball there. So it's like the the trajectory was not the greatest. Exactly. So what was in this dream? These two sentences every Catholic should memorize. And what, so again, because it's like we could do a whole retreat on the dream and like the practical skills we can draw from it. The biggest one is the first sentence, at least for me, it stands out. It's like, Joseph's son of David, fear not to take unto thee, marry thy wife. Okay. So before he found out he was pregnant, what was he going to do? He was going to divorce her quietly. No, no. Right? That was after he found out oh, she was pregnant. Before, before he was going to marry her. Right? Yeah. Like take her on to himself. He was, he was going to do that. And then he got this information he didn't know quite what to do with. And then basically the angel told him 
that thing you really, really, really wanted to do before, it's okay to do it. So what does that help? How can we dream like Joseph? It's like, maybe there's heartbreak. Maybe it's like, how to evangelize my brother, it's like really hard, or how to evangelize my cousin, it's really hard, um, sort of thing. And it's like, you know, it could be something as simple as like, Xavier, uh, son of McFarland, fear not to uh, have a beer with your brother. It's like, wait a second, I want to have beer with my brother anyways. You mean it's okay to have beer with my brother? It's like, well, I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So help me understand how to apply that scripture to um, somebody you're trying to um, teach how to how to evangelize. So is it the discerning what you're being called to do in order to spread the love of Christ in, you know, it, it could be anything. You know, yeah. have a beer with your brother or, you know, invite somebody to a young adult group or something. I think mm -hmm. step one would be discerning that that's what you're being called to do, mm -hmm. number one. And then believing that that's what you're called to do. Yeah. I, I think. And based it, on truth. Yeah. I like think the, Joseph was married to Mary. Yeah. So, and therefore it is normal for him then to take her into his home. Right. It's like because you're thinking about this and you want the best for that person or you think you're well suited in in a moment that you're the one to have a beer with your brother who's fallen away yeah you should because that's a good thing and you're being called to do that i think recognizing that you're called to do that is step one yeah absolutely then, yeah so and it's like again like having having this blessing of the fact that if you're a daily mass catholic you might be the only link that person has to the church. Mm -hmm. And if that, and if part of that beer becomes them venting about the church, you are the absolute best person for them to vent to. Mm -hmm. If they vent to like a secular therapist, they're going to help them destroy the church in their head. If they vent to a daily mass, daily rosary, Douay Reims carrying Catholic, Wow, what a grace, you know? So essentially, whatever's in your heart, determine if that is something you want that you believe you're being called to do, that a, thing that you've truth. always wanted to do. Yeah. It's true, and then, yeah. And then if you determine and through prayer and, and through maybe a literal dream, you determine that that's what you're called to do, then you ought to do it, mm -hmm. right? Whatever that might be. And that's not so clear as to what that might be, perhaps. Exactly. But also, yeah. it's it's not just like confirmation of, of sort of the direction to go. It's also what you seem to be saying is confirmation and permission that you can do it and it will be good. Not It's not like a, you know, burden kind of mentality that people sometimes have when they look at what, what you're supposed to do. But it's more of like you are free to do this difficult thing that you want to do anyway, at least deep inside, even if it's challenging. Don't be afraid of it. You yeah. don't have to be afraid of it. And it might be the fullest expression of your nature. Like, uh, I think throughout the ages, the Catholic Church has def defined uh, true freedom as uh, having the ability to do what, what you ought to do. Having the ability to do what you ought to do. And it's like, wow, St. Joseph had immense freedom in that, wow, I can fully express my husbandhood. Like, wow, I can do what I wanted to do. 
And like there are other aspects of the dream that help fill in the blanks um, uh, a little bit more for why Joseph then rose and 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 uh, took on the headship of the Holy Family. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's wow. I do want to have that thriving relationship with my with my with my brother or my friend, my colleague. Mm. Yeah. Despite all my reservations. The, yeah, uh, bury. Fill in the grave before dawn. Yeah. Fill in the grave before dawn. Absolutely. And uh, again, it's sometimes it's little little tweaks that have mega impact. Um, sometimes people ask me like, "What is the bazooka for evangelization?" Right? Because I, you know, for example, at Yale School of Management, I brought around ten percent of the MBA class uh, to an Easter celebration. <laughs> Uh, it was about six hours long, and they got to hear the gospel, and they got to talk with the Dominican priest in habit. And I'd say of, like, that 10%, uh, the vast majority were, like, not even a little bit Christian. <laughs> How many is 10%? It's, like, a, it's, it's a boatload. Like, it was, like, I think uh, that time, Yala Soam was around 600 people, so bringing, like, 60 to 70 people. So you convinced 60 people to give six hours of their time to something they had never had an interest in and probably would have thought was going to be the most boring experience of their lives. Yeah, it was, like, the best party we ever had. <laughs> and nobody got drunk because you got, if you don't evangelize in virtue, you're not evangelizing. <laughs> I'm just going to repeat that, though. You got 60 people to commit six hours of their time to something they probably would have thought boring and uninteresting. At Yale. And yeah, I was just going to say, it doesn't seem like the not place at, that would yeah. be receptive to that at all. Not at Franciscan. These are just any people. Yeah, not knocking know? Franciscan, but Franciscan's pretty Catholic, yeah. you know? And forgive me for phrasing it this way, but like, you're not St. Francis Xavier. You don't have, like, you're not that. So how'd you do that? Like, you're just an, a guy. I am and just ultimately, St. <laughs> Francis Xavier was still just a guy at the end of the day. Yeah. That's just amazing. How did you do that? So St. Francis Xavier had skills. He was great at writing. Uh, St. Augustine, before his conversion, he was, I think, the head of, um, he was a, a, a famous rhetorician. Uh, Saul, before his conversion, he knew Greek, he knew Latin, he was a Roman citizen, um, he was a lawyer, he knew Greek culture. Literally, in his first address to Athens, uh, he cites a poet. Uh, he knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand, and he had leadership skills. That sounds like someone that when they encounter the Lord, they're going to make the most incredible evangelization engine <laughs> possible, right? And it's, again, it's it's not like Jose is so cool. It's It's like these skills, they can be yours. Like how much do you want your family like how different would your life be like if this christmas everybody went to midnight mass together that'd be awesome and again what if all you needed was to tweak your listening skills yeah like a lot of people talk about uh the lord equips the called it's like sometimes he calls the equipped like saul right <laughs> And it's like, yeah, well, shoot, maybe you need communication skills. Maybe you need leadership skills. Um, also, another thing I talk about is personal growth skills. How do we, how do you, you actively grow within your participation of the Mass and how that affects your evangelization, for example. Um, all these things in human formation affect how you are um, a vessel for grace in the other person's life. 
Um, and again, so practical, so practical. Uh, it's sort of like a doctor could know that a healthy human body is really good, but if at the end of the day they don't know what to prescribe, how effective are they, they going to be? Uh, a rocket scientist could know about all sorts of things regarding gravity, etc., but if they don't have a supply chain to like put together the rocket, how many rockets are they going to go are, are going to go into space? Not a whole lot. So yeah, sometimes it's, it's uh, the practical skills that that make the difference. Okay, so we've gone through an example of talking like Mary. We've gone through an example of dreaming like Joseph. The Jesus part now, part three. Yeah, make make things new like Christ. Um, it's like, do you believe what Christ says about you? That's like the first step. Like, like this this guy, the man from Gerasene, like. The only person who believed that that man could become an effective vessel for the word was Jesus Christ. And then, like, he saw in him what he could be. And he helped him become that. So, again, I, I like to joke that uh, Catholicism now is a, is a white sheep religion. Or we might be the only white sheep in the family who goes to mass. So it's like you might be literally the only vessel by which they can encounter Jesus through your testimony. It's like, do you believe what Christ said to that man? It's like Christ is telling you right now, go home. Tell them all that the Lord has done for you. It's like, wow. Um, so that, that, that in and of itself is really wonderful. And other questions like, is virtue enough? Like, gosh, virtue is so helpful. Um, prudence, knowing what is good and knowing how to accomplish it. It's like, how do I reach out to my brother? He likes to fish. I like to fish. Maybe we should fish. Uh, how do I reach out to my sister? Um, she likes baking and I like eating. <laughs> Maybe I should buy her flour. <laughs> 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 right? That sort of thing. It's like, there we go, justice, uh, uh, giving uh, people what they are due. If, let's say, you're evangelizing uh, a dad, it's like, how can I ask him something that puts him in the mentor position? Because he's lived a life, and that's what he's due. It's like, oh, he knows a lot about carpentry, or he knows a lot about travel. It's like, I'm going to ask him about that. And that, that actually, when you're talking about order, that is a really good expression of order where it's like, oh, wow, like I am honoring my dad by ensuring that in this conversation, uh, he is in, I'm acknowledging that he is, you know, like this older male father figure, right? And I'm here to learn from him. Um, so that sort of stuff. It's like, believe that your dad could be your spiritual mentor. Um because, like, yeah, like, make all things new, right? Seeing in them the, ves the the person they could become once they are a vessel for the word. Like, you could almost interpret so many of the miracles according to that. I, um, I don't know exactly how this fits, but um, I've, I've spoken about my grandpa on a on previous podcasts and you know, I'm very close to him and um, 
I wouldn't say my, my family is uh, definitely not particularly Catholic, nominal at best, right? Um, but just because I'm close with my grandpa, um, you know, I have a lot of interaction with him, and this kind of comes naturally uh, these days. But um, it occurred to me a while back that he has a lot of, of um, influence in the rest of the family, too. So not only, you know, was it just kind of uh, the Lord put him before me as opposed to somebody else um, who more so. I mean, everybody's fair game here in my family, but um, he's he just so happens to be closer to me in some ways. uh, You know, we converse a lot. So um, I noticed that his influence, if I'm if I'm able to evangelize and essentially convert him then his effect on the rest of the family can be uh, profound in the same way, Yeah, you know. Um, do you recommend for any listener to try to pinpoint the, uh, like, uh, the right person to maximize effect, right? Is that ever in the conversation? Because you, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm only one man. You're only mm-hmm. one man. Um, Savior's also only one man, and we can only do so much. You know, our families vary in size, right? So if you have a day over Thanksgiving or Christmas, maybe you should spend a little bit more time with somebody who you think will have the largest impact on the rest of the family. I'm just thinking uh, practically here. Yeah, practically. Yeah. Yeah, discerning what is good and discerning how to accomplish it. Like, you're right. If if you do, if your grandpa does come to the faith, wow. Yeah. Like, even statistically. My grandma, maybe cascade. my dad, my uncle, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the the best thing is that if, if you evangelize effectively, there will be people listening to that conversation. And though the stated goal was bring bran- grandpa home, in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, if, like, your cousins were listening to this conversation and engaging, uh, you would have been evangelizing them, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, and, and, and then also we don't know what opportunities will come up. Maybe just for whatever reason, uh, there's like a series of small fires that always draw grandpa out of the conversation. And maybe it's just you and the cousins or just you and grandma. Uh, it's be the Anthony that is life giving. And then in any situation, you will be an awesome evangelist. Yeah. Like, and, just like from our interactions, like there's a ton of things that you have to give people that would really be life giving to them. Like you're very ordered. Uh, you're very um, uh, like, you know, doctrine. Uh, you're very intentional. Uh, you're a great listener. So just leaning on these natural things, which are Anthony, um, just any moment could be evangelization. And if you're joyful, like if you feel good, if it's life giving for you, uh, like 70 to 93% of what we communicate is emotion, like how we feel at the moment, uh, then, yeah, you might even be able to evangelize your grandpa even if he's in the other side of the room. Like, shoot, Anthony's, like, really happy. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, it's just uh, when I go to Mass, I feel renewed. <laughs> I want to touch on this uh, displaying emotion that seems to be a theme. Mm-hmm. Um it's important that you convey your your positive emotion when evangelizing. And I think um, this applies to um, 
principles that Xavier and I have really um, embraced where you start with a why when you're uh, presenting something, either your elevator pitch or you're trying to sell something, which in this case is you're trying to sell faith. You know? Yeah. Um, so you, you start with the why in order to appeal to the emotion of the person that you're talking to. Like, I'm convicted and here's why. Yeah. Right? And then you can go into a little more nuanced stuff because your why should be thought-provoking. So I believe I can speak for Xavier here where appealing to the emotion is a winner right off the bat. Yeah. You know, at the very least, the conversation will keep going. If not, maybe that person will actually feel the emotion that you're feeling during the conversation. So that's that's a parallel I noticed. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you want to uh, share how you feel about the faith, and you also want uh, them to remember the values you associate with the faith. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if someone asks me why I'm Catholic, I might say something like, um, you know, I'm Catholic because when I think about the Holy Family, I feel a lot of gratitude because I value mercy and truth. As opposed to just because it's the way. Exactly. And it's like, I value mercy and truth. Yeah. Like, what? I want to I wanna talk with Jose more because mercy and truth are important. Mm-hmm. Um, and the emotion, right? Like gratitude. Like, that's really good. And I don't think anybody would say that having a positive emotion regarding mercy and truth is bad evangelization or bad doctrine. Like... <laughs> Like, mercy, truth, like, that's almost shorthand for, you know, God saves, as in Jesus Christ. That's his name. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking in relation to this um, kind of concept of starting with why, which really is sort of an emotional thing, because why is, is, it's that kind of thing. Like, why do I care is, it's tied up in a lot of things, but one of them is emotion. I was thinking of the way, like, Thomistically, we receive from the external world. Yeah. Um, so like it starts with our body. We're body and soul. So it's everything starts with our body because that's how we have our senses. That's where information enters us as a being. Yeah. And then it goes through like the powers of the body, sight, touch, smell, but it also goes through the passions of the body or emotions would be a more modern word. And then that kind of mixes together and presents something to the reason. Yeah. And so it's even the structure here of like start with the emotion and the communication of the emotion through your body into the deeper, more rational, not in this sense technically rational, like of reason part of what you're sharing. And it it mirrors the way it enters the other person Mm -hmm. as opposed to slamming into their senses with, oh, I follow it because it's true. (laughs) And then- yeah. Their emotional bodily reaction can be a negative one. So by the time it reaches their reason, it's been tampered with in a negative way. Exactly. I, I love the, that you said tampered because, um, and, and you brought it, you, you explained it so eloquently, like start with the body, et cetera. In uh, neuroscience, there's something called the limbic system. And essentially the limbic system is the, the seat of our emotions. And then there's something called the neocortex, which is what, uh, creates uh, syllogisms. It justifies things. And the order of operations typically is that the limbic system will tell the neocortex what to justify. Uh, typical example is you're walking down the street and you see like a nice suit that costs like, I don't know, $5,000. But uh, you've somehow made an emotional connection with it. So now the limbic system told the neocortex, hey, justify it. So then the neocortex says, 
oh, if I buy the suit, my boss is going to love me because I'm going to look great and like people are going to respect me more and comes up with all these reasons. Why does this matter? Okay, if the limbic system is saying uh, we're not getting along right now with this person, uh, justify us leaving. <laughs> then the neocortex is going to say like, oh, none of the things that you're saying is making sense right now. I'm going to go watch a baseball game. Or none of the things you're making sense right now. Or none of the things that you're saying right now are are, are good. So I'm going to, you know. Or even go do something what you're else. saying makes sense, but I don't agree. Exactly. And that's, like, that's one of the weirdest responses that I ever get. The, is like yeah. someone follows along, especially if they're more of an intellectually honest type of person. Be like, yeah, I follow. That makes sense. I just don't think it's right. Yeah. And, and it's it, like, that's that's interesting. Like two and then two and then you get four. But I actually think it's six. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and again, it's like the neocortex has been directed to like find ways to like um, prove the other point. The amazing power of human rationalization. Absolutely. It's literally science. Like it's biological. So what does that mean? It's like if we start with emotion – uh, we're thawing the limbic system. We're thawing the heart. Um, and then there's other things too, like listening. Uh, listening is like the bazooka of evangelization. It is the most effective skill by far. If you give somebody a good listening to, um, you've just done five-star evangelization. I like how you phrase that because the corollary is a talking to. Which exactly. Is universally <laughs> negative. Exactly. I have a lot of clients that, that ask me like, what is the... How do I prove it to them that they should be Catholic? It's like you, you prove it to them by giving them a good listening to. And they're like, huh? Darn, <laughs> compassion, mercy. Uh, <laughs> so, anywho, like, yeah, if, if you do that, then the limbic system will tend to calm down. And then the neocortex will then allow the information to come in. Um, and then, of course, there's like the follow through. Um, some of the claims our church makes are are quite high when it comes to uh human dynamics oh, it's noon here at the office and we pray an angelus so we'll pause and be right back everybody okay we're back everyone and jose you were just talking about how the claims are high that the church gives and the follow-up yeah absolutely so for example um that that virtue can be life-giving that that is a tall claim and it can totally, uh, it, is, it is real. Uh, so, for example, uh, I like to describe chastity in the sense that uh, we're drawing out the true person as opposed to, like, don't do these verbs or don't do these actions. It's more about drawing out the true person. Um, so if, let's say, I'm hanging out with my buddy um, if, if we're, or a friend of mine, right, if we're living a, a chaste friendship, what I'm actually seeing is the fullness of my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. And that's, that's to me exciting. It's like, oh, it's all about drawing out the true person as opposed to merely avoiding a list of activities. So uh, the follow through is important because we might be able to thaw the limbic system and get through to the neocortex. However, our reputation has to precede us uh, in the future. As in, uh, not only... Do they hear and care about me? Not only is what they're saying coherent, but also their actions are delivering love. Uh, and the, the shorthand for us to parse through uh, how to do so is basically what the church teaches about virtue, uh, chastity, patience, kindness, etc. Um, and again, when we look at it, it's like, can I have beer with my brother? 
can I have coffee with my sister type of deal? Um, it's like, yeah, you get to do that anyways. Like, you want to do that anyways. You should do it. Uh, basically, it's the path of virtue. It's the path of your nature uh, to be in relationship with your sister in that way. You should do it. That rings true with um, a lot of... I got this idea in my head that, you know, secular, um, you know, self-help books or, you know, a lot of things on social media, how to be successful sort of um, things with that theme. They try to focus on what this type of person you're trying to be does as opposed to what this type of person you're trying to be doesn't do, you know. So it's like. And these could be wrong, you know, somebody who's ultra successful and makes a lot of money. Um, they might wake up at 6 a.m., you know, they might um, read the newspaper, you know, they might, um, you know, listen to something on the radio. I don't know. Right. Yeah. But it's all about what they do as instructions on how to be whatever that virtue with a lowercase v would be yeah. that they're pushing. It's not this person doesn't wake up at noon. <laughs> this person, you know, right, right, yeah. like it's a lot affirmation. of people meant like, oh, the church just wants to tell me no to all the, it's just rules, etc. Yeah. And it's like the approach the world uses, which is a good one, is basically in a secular way, like you're saying, expressing virtue. Here's the path to follow. Yeah. Here's the good actions, the positive things, mm -hmm. and then implicit in those. Well, if you want to wake up at six a.m., you probably got to go to bed and not stay up too late watching TV or scrolling on your phone. Yeah. If you want to work out, you have to forego sloth. If you want to eat well, you have to forego gluttony. Like in the virtue, it's like the commandments are built into the virtues, but we're kind of dumb. So God like to make made it real clear. He's like, I know there's these virtues I'm giving you, but here's the stuff that will hurt them. So don't do that. Yeah, I, I love that. And uh, uh, a quick plug for people. The brain does not understand terms of negation very well during points of stress. What does that mean? The canonical example my professor gave me was, let's say you have a tray of uh, red wine glasses filled to the top, and you're walking across like a white carpeted area, and you're saying, don't spill, don't spill, don't spill. What your brain is actually understanding spill, is- Spill, spill, spill. Yes, exactly, exactly. Oh my gosh. So if you're struggling with virtue, you need uh, uh, an understanding of them in the affirmative. So instead of don't spill, think steady, steady. Yes, careful, steady. Step, steady step. Yeah, exactly. So uh, another one, patience. Uh, patience is a virtue. And it's oftentimes people interpret it as like don't blow up. And the way I like to interpret it in the, in the affirmative sense is keep acting according to your nature. Keep acting according to your nature. Is patience a virtue? Yeah. Wasn't it one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the fruits of the Holy Spirit or the charisms of the Holy I, I get it mixed up. It might be under temperance. Yeah. And Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Yeah. There, it's yeah. in there. I'm getting a bunch of Dominicans now going like, no, Jose is bad news. He doesn't know patience is actually a fruit, not a virtue. <laughs> I mean, that's how the saying goes. So yeah. I mean, in some sense. <laughs> speaking English. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. Like uh, Catholicism has some tall claims that incorporating the mind of Christ into our daily behaviors, i.e. virtue, uh, is life-giving. 
And if, if we do the follow through, then that is mega evangelization. So by follow through, you mean our actions matching our words. Yes, exactly. And, and a lot of times people are like, Jose, is it really that easy? Is it, is it that simple? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> oftentimes it is that simple. Like um, where it's like, just listen to people, uh, share with conviction, uh, and then follow through. And you might be wondering, well, I've been doing that this whole time. Uh, and, you know, it might, it might be the case that you have been doing that the whole time, but it also is the case where um, someone might be swinging the bat, putting their hip in and following through with their arms, etc. cetera. Uh, but maybe you, you need like extra help, you know? And I would say like nine out of 10 people are terrible at listening, even when they're trying real hard. Not looking at you two in particular, but just saying. Sorry, I was, like, I was thinking about something else. <laughs> Thank you, Xavier. But, but yeah, like most people uh, could benefit from listening uh, coaching. Mm-hmm. Most people could benefit from expression. Uh, leadership coaching could be really beneficial. Yeah, I think one, one weird, weird thing is often we think very clearly about some things and we don't think very clearly at all about others. I think evangelization is one of those. For whatever reason, it just seems to be this mystery mm-hmm. but a lot of people played sports or maybe played an instrument it's not conceptually that challenging like you said simple like basketball put the ball through the hoop yeah baseball hit the ball with the stick instrument you know hit the notes with your fingers yeah but yeah. in practice the simple thing is very difficult but not insurmountably so and it's like well i want to get good at basketball i want to get good at an instrument you go get trained. You go practice. I think yeah. that's like it It makes so much sense for these things. But for whatever reason, we don't tend to think of evangelization in the same way where it's like this is a skill set. Go practice it, whether that's as lame as it might sound, like writing out things you might say to somebody or talking in the mirror to see how you sound or taking a friend who you trust or a family member who's already on board and being like, well, how does this sound? How does this sound? Let me give it a shot. That way, if you do show up at Thanksgiving – you're not, by analogy, showing up at the basketball game never having done a jump shot before. Yeah, exactly. And th- those are awesome examples. Like, um, and I, I love all of them because uh, regarding sport, right? That's recreation. And in some ways, you can like recre- recre- the recreation is like this uh, intangible good that is very good for society, and yet there's a practical element to it. Uh, music, right? It's harm- harmony. It's a beautiful sound. It's um, and then there's a practical element to it. And I think it just, uh, it hasn't really hit the evangelization world in a sense where it's evangelization is beautiful. It's the encounter of Christ. And there, there just might be some practical elements to, to that. Um, and again, we see it all over with Saul, St. Francis Xavier, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I, I think part of it is because again, it, it can hurt to evangelize. Um, so it's like, oh, that hurts. I don't want to think about that. Uh, but then, you know, uh, it's we got to do it. And then, of course, it can be life-giving. Like, that's the biggest thing. Evangelization can be life-giving for you, the evangelist. Yeah, one last thought, Anthony, looks like he's got something to say is, well, anybody who's played a sport or played an instrument or anything like that, there's a chance you screw up, there's a chance you lose, but you do it anyway because it's worth it. Yeah, you try again. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, fill in the grave before dawn. Exactly. Oh, there we go. Yeah. High five. I'm trying to structure these... Um, 
structure the thought. Basically, I think I can I can loosely call them um, rebuttals to this sort of evangelization. Um, one one is more so; the other one is more of an experience that I had that I'd like to share that I thought of when we were talking about how uh, basically you you ought to do these things in order to be the person you want to be, not don't do these things that that person doesn't do that you want to be, right? Um, But the first one, it's like, what if you're not somebody who is quote unquote an extrovert? I think it's not an extrovert. Yeah. So people who are introverted are, they just have a low level of extroversion. Yeah. Um, but for the sake of this, just call them introverts. If you're an introvert, how does one, and, and you might've touched on it earlier where there's evangelization and action, you know, and everybody, no matter how introverted you are, talk to somebody, you know? Um, but let's say you're, you know, you're part of this young adult group and I, I will not name names, but I know of some people who don't have this strength of, of um, you know, outgoingness. That That is a strength in some way, right? And not to say that if you're not outgoing, you're not strong in this. But um, some people are more introverted. More they introverted. need to evangelize, right? Mm-hmm. How do they cross this hump? How do they yeah. get over this, this hump here? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And this gets into one of my favorite topics of personal preference. Um, someone who's introverted can be an incredibly effective evangelist. If we simply demonstrate what are the skills that they naturally have, that, that could be really beneficial for the cause. Uh, so uh, one of the items that is extremely helpful in the leadership section is understanding what aspect of the Catholic tradition might most uh, naturally resonate with the person you're trying to evangelize. Uh, So for example, if you're talking to an artist, uh, perhaps the church's architecture might resonate. If you're talking to someone who is into literature, perhaps the church's poetry, things like that. Someone who has a real heart for service to the poor, maybe learning about the the saints who have served the poor. Uh, Introverted people tend to be really good at parsing through the conversations they've had with others and seeing like, oh, that person, that this person's hobbies are ABC. Therefore, they might naturally res- resonate with this aspect of the church tradition XYZ. And then in that sense, since they take the time, they, they more often than the, they tend to naturally gravitate towards sex, taking the time to contemplate. Then they listen well. They listen well and they contemplate and it's like, I know exactly what I'm going to invite them to or I know exactly what article I'm going to text them. And in that sense, they are presenting, they are absolutely doing the Lord's work uh, in evangelizing. So absolutely. It's it's more like, who who are you? What has God given you? Uh, And then like, how can I, how can we work with the skills and with the context so that you can evangelize in a way that's life-giving for you? Yeah. But what about this this initial fear of engaging with somebody you don't know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh some people may be called to like I heard once of a ministry where it's like in England and you bar hop. Something like that, probably for extroverts. <laughs> the the introvert may be called to evangelize family. Uh, or so, yeah. Yeah, like wasn't 
wasn't Saint Therese of Lisieux like? Isn't she the patron of of uh, foreign mission evangelization? Was she bedridden by the end? I think so, and she never left her convent or something. Anywho, like the Lord told her all the time to talk to the sister that she hated. And that was her evangelization. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like yeah, like and and actually, tons of sister saints are tasked with the Lord, tasked by the Lord to talk to the sister that most rubs them the wrong way. Sure. So for the introvert, maybe there's just one person. Um, one last thing. Uh, Father Mike Schmitz has a great video on sloth. He calls it sloth. And essentially the ancient definition of sloth is doing everything but the one thing you're called to do. So yeah, I think Aquinas defines it, and this is loose paraphrase, as and a sadness toward the good. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I feel like I should explain that a little bit. Oh, go ahead. Um, a sadness toward the good, meaning you you perceive the good, and for whatever reason, in a technical sense, you're sad, but maybe you experience it as reluctance or resistance or something. You know what the good thing is, but you don't do it. And I think we usually interpret that in the context of like laziness, where mm-hmm. I should probably get off the couch. I watched three episodes already. I need to do my laundry. And you just kind of push it off. But it's sort of a an antagonism toward the good. But this can be many things. It could even be Hey, I love going on runs. I'm going to go on a run instead of doing my laundry or having that conversation I need to have or finishing that report or whatever it is. It can be anything. It's not just laziness. It can be any sort of reluctance toward the right good thing. Yeah. I see so many connections in my mind. I'm trying to articulate it. So to your point of uh, the introvert being called to evangelize family, how to relate that to young adult ministry, I think, because uh, I was like, how does one get new people into a young adult ministry, for instance, like that? You know, what if you're a group of 60% introverts or something? Like, you're not going to get new people a lot. But that's not true. I think that the extroverts might be called to cast a net, so to speak, get new people to come into the group from outside. But uh, yesterday in your presentation to our young adult group, um, there needs to be uh, retention yeah, in retention. the group. So the group itself is akin to a family. And those introverted people, they can evangelize, continue to um, cultivate the relationship that they have with the people already in the group. So that's a connection I made. I think that it, it applies uh, to people of that personality type. The other mm-hmm. thing that kind of, it's loosely aligned with with sloth. Um Something that in my life that I just noticed during this conversation was, um, you know, I I reverted back to the faith a few years ago. I got in touch with an old friend who Mm. doesn't live the Catholic life, right? He might be spiritual in a sense. You know, he's, he actually told me that he's been praying more, which is awesome. Nice. Um, but (laughs) his first text to me, one of them was, I heard you're becoming a priest now, Anthony. <laughs> it's like people have in their mind, um, you know, and, and ignorance is to blame, and maybe a, a, a bad representation of the church is that to be a Catholic is this arduous journey that you need to completely upend your life for. 
So naturally, since I'm a devout Catholic now, I must be becoming a priest <laughs> in his mind. So although it, it, it is, life's an arduous journey and yeah. you do need to, in a sense, upend your life, but that is gradual. And it reminds me of something that you said yesterday where it doesn't, you don't need to change your life to accept the, the love and the truth of Christ accepting the love and the truth of Christ will change your life. Absolutely. Right. So it's just, I guess, a word of caution or like um, maybe maybe your thoughts on this would be appropriate, but how does one get over that hump of somebody who's just very ignorant about the church thinking that they have to become a priest or a nun if they were to enter? Yeah. Right. That's not the case. It's not the case. Oh, gosh. And I love so much of everything you just said. Like... So first, it's when we reduce what your friend said to its most basic terms, in a sense, we can interpret his statement as, I want to engage with you about the faith. I don't know how you derive that. Hey, I heard you're becoming a priest. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he said it because, like, imagine always hearing the cacophony of the world. And you're trying to formulate a question to engage with your friend whom you care about, about something that's important to him. So when you, when you have the cacophony of the world in your ears and you're trying to create a sentence to engage, you get something like that. <laughs> Actually, yeah. It makes sense now. <laughs> so that's one. And two, uh, an ultra difficult evangelization uh, lightning strikes the same place a hundred times. Can you say that again? Yeah. And then explain it? <laughs> Absolutely. So sometimes it's like lightning never strikes twice, right? On ultra difficult evangelization, if lightning struck once, it'll strike again a hundred times. Because the reason why someone takes an, takes action for one thing or another, there's like a whole machinery operation decision-making process that chose that, that, that action to engage in this case with Anthony about the faith. Therefore, there's going to be another opportunity and probably another and another and another. It may not be, I want to go to mass with you, but it may be something like, uh, oh yeah, I was going through my grandma's garage and I saw like uh, a picture of that lady who loved Jesus. And it's like, you know, there's one reaction, like it's not just that lady, it's our lady. Another thing is like, oh, what do you mean? Oh, hey, that's our, that we call her Our Lady because we want to show respect to her. Yeah. And it's like wh where we can find engagement. Oh, my gosh. Build the bridge. Um, imagine, I always tell people you need respect, affirmation, and love for somebody to walk towards, towards the faith. Uh, respect is an often misunderstood term. All it means is safety. So if one, somebody takes a step in the direction of Jesus and people immediately say, oh, that's not a good step. That's not a good step. That's not a good step. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to step back again. <laughs> so that's the safety. If someone takes a step toward Jesus and someone says, why don't you take two steps? Why don't you take three steps? You know, they're being criticized. They're not being affirmed. So what are they going to do? Mm -hmm. They're going to step back. Yeah. It reminds me of um, yeah. with kids. They're not experts. Nobody's an expert when they're born. And we kind of know this, again, it's that sort of comparison of things we normally think about normally and then things we don't think about normally for weird reasons. Like if a kid's drawing, they're going to draw a drawing like a kid. 
Yeah. You don't go, well, that was a good step, but you actually suck. And here's all 50 things wrong with your drawing. <laughs> like, You're not a Leonardo yet. <laughs> everybody kind of knows that will just crush that kid. And if they were going to become an artist, you just put a big barrier in their way, which is I'm never good enough. Mm-hmm. Same thing applies. Yeah. Hey, I heard you're going to become a priest. Well, actually, I'm not because you're so dumb. Don't you know not all Catholics become priests? Like, boom, they're gone. That kid who was like drawing the stick figure towards Jesus, never going to try again, at least with you, as opposed to, uh, well, that's I'm flattered that you think I'm holy enough to be a priest or something, but et cetera, et cetera. Jeez, I can't remember how I responded. I'm, Don't worry. Uh, lightning will strike again. <laughs> lightning will strike again. I'm worried now. <laughs> And then, like, the, the biggest thing is, like, if lightning will strike again, right? It, it absolutely will, unless you, like, punch him in the face, which I don't, it doesn't sound like you did. <laughs> so then it's like, oh, wow, now I know that this is how they might engage. So it's like, oh, that typically when, when anybody tells you anything, I recommend people just repeat what they just said. And that's so that you cognate, you, you have a chance to, like, hear. So if somebody says, oh, yeah, um, I went to mass the other day and, it, and they're like an atheist, you know, that, that might bring up a lot of emotions. So just repeat it like, oh, you went to mass the other day. <laughs> and that way, at the very least for you, it's like your brain has like a, an extra second to like understand <laughs> what just transpired. You, When it comes to the why, they may say, oh, I went to mass because my niece was getting baptized and they rolled up the mass into into the baptism. It's like, oh, you know, you can have a conversation about that. Um, but yeah, like any step someone takes towards Jesus, that is a good thing. That's a good thing. You had mentioned earlier, uh, the father Mike Schmidt's video on, on sloth and we kind of got derailed a little bit. What were, what was the point you were going to make in regard to that? Oh yeah. Um, doing everything but the one thing you're supposed to do. Um, that could be very uh i forgot the point i was gonna, but i can make other points uh <laughs> with evangelization again it's like joseph son of david fear not to take on to the mary, take on to the mary thy wife what is the one thing joseph is supposed to do take her into his home there's like another one thing he's supposed to do name this child jesus um so and he, and he did those things and when he did those things there were huge beneficial effects through all of christendom forever um joseph's yes is like a huge beacon of hope because in a sense uh he was taught in that dream how he should view himself how he should view our lady how he should view the lord and that sense it's like wow like he was invited into the holy family uh even though he had original sin like joseph's yes means that people with original sin or maybe it doesn't mean, but it, it illustrates that people with original sin can have this great relationship with mom and with Jesus, uh, which is fantastic. Um, Joseph's yes means that the Davidic line is connected via the patrilineal line to Jesus, uh, which is fantastic because, you know, it fulfills all these prophecies. Um, it means that uh, Joseph's yes was actually a mercy on Our Lady uh, because now she has legal representation and uh, she's... Un- much, much, much less likely to be stoned to death, um, which, which is very good. Um, and then there's like an aspect for the future, like um, Joseph is the first person to authoritatively declare that the incarnated second person of the Trinity is the one who saves. 
And he did so by naming him Jesus, which means God saves. And anybody that has ever evangelized has basically gone into the carpenter's workshop and, ha and has borrowed the sacred name. Yeah, so like um, he did, he was told in the dream to do two things. And the two things he did, the angel substantiated for him via truth, truth statements. You are the son of David. Mary is your wife. That child is of the Holy Ghost. That child will save his people from their sins, etc. And then he did them. And he led. And now we have all this amazing amazing things that we can think like, that, that are, are really just a grace and mercy for us uh, Catholics and Christians right now. Um, so yeah, doing the one thing could be like amazing. And we can mirror that in our own lives. Like using one of your examples from earlier, you are your brother's keeper. Mm -hmm. You enjoy a beer now and then. You like hanging out with your brother. Yeah. Go have a beer with your brother. Exactly. And and like uh, personal preference is so important in Catholicism. Like I'm not asking you to have beer with someone when you hate having beer. Like if if you're a little bit, if you're introspective for a second, you could probably write down 10 things you just generally, generally like doing. Some of those are easy, like per, perhaps sitting and enjoying the breeze. Others might be more involved, like uh, hiking or skiing or surfing. That's okay. You have a list of things. And then uh, your family member has a list of things. Where there is overlap or complementarity, go for it. Again, if you have like uh, someone in your life who loves to bake and you hate baking, but you love to eat, hey, let's hang out. Or maybe uh, you're terrible at cooking and so is the other person, but you love eating delicious food. Maybe order monk's bread from this mon monastery in upstate New York, and you will have the most delicious bread made <laughs> by monks ever. Literally, I think it's called monksbread.com. <laughs> so, so yeah, like uh, do the thing that is life-giving for you and life-giving for them, and then it can be life-giving for the we. It can be life-giving for the we, and that, that's very important. So what do you offer, Jose? Like, what does at the service offer? Yeah. yeah. A number of things. Uh, I love doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, you know, let's say uh, you just really want your son or daughter, your son or daughter to come back home, in a sense, to come to the sacraments. Or you really want to evangelize your colleagues, uh, e even in a very difficult secular environment. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we can work together. Um, and again, it's like working together so that uh, you would have these skills. So it's not like this massively unattainable, unattainable goal. Like you have to reach a certain level of high understanding of uh, Catholicism or the Trinity. It's like, here, here's this listening skill. <laughs> here's this leadership skill. Here's this personal growth skill. And then I try to make it fun. Uh, so let's say I have, I'm coaching someone who loves to do a daily rosary. It's like, hey, you can practice this, the communication skill while you're doing the rosary. So you don't even have to schedule time for homework. You just have to do your rosary. And, and while you do it, just try this thing out. And then people love it because it's like, oh, my gosh, you mean like there's this way that I can really uh, share my 100% self with Our Lady and something that I love doing? It's like, yeah, and that makes me better evangelist too. It's like, what? Sign me up. Broccoli and cheese. Um, so, so there's that. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I also do retreats. I love those because then, you know, it's like we take time and it's more transformative. So lots of retreats. 
Um, also do workshops for parishes or ministries. Um, and those are great, or university campuses. Uh, I, I started actually my ultra evangelization, uh, let's say, career at a very liberal uh, college campus in Washington, D.C., George Washington University. Shout out to GW Catholics. Um, and it just happened to me that, that GW not only was very, very secular and antagonistic, but also that Newman Center pumped out seminarians like iron. Yeah, like seriously punched above its weight in terms of seminarians. And it's in that environment uh, where it's like, yeah, like, let, let's let's go. Let's share the faith. Uh, also, I used to be an evangelical atheist. So that I have, a, you know, I got stuff to make up for. <laughs> kind of like Saul. <laughs> you know, we, we, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future type of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how'd you come around? What? What was yeah. the journey? I thought you were a cradle Catholic here. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I like was, one. I was, uh, yeah. I was born a Catholic, mm-hmm. and then I had an evangelical atheist stint, and then I came back home. Praise God! And like a lot of it is, uh, at least for me, I came back kicking and screaming because of logic. I just couldn't ignore certain answers, like at, at least for me, like. I, I tried to go all the way into atheism and I thought, can something come from nothing? Like, let's just, let's try to be really objective here. And it's like, darn it, I guess that doesn't make sense. And then, well, if something came from something, is it like an impersonal energy or force? Well, then why would it, it ha- why would it have a type of self-control? Otherwise, wouldn't we be in perpetual creation or something like that? Darn, that doesn't make sense either. Except I used stronger language. <laughs> I was pretty upset by it. And then I just eventually arrived at the incarnation. And then it's like, dang it. Time to be a Christian. <laughs> that's, that's basically the same story as our last guest, Mark Lozano. He was just yeah. like, yeah, I try, he, like full atheist rabbit hole. All the, you know, modern atheist circuit speakers. And he was like. Somewhat evangelical. His goal was yeah. to unconvert his then girlfriend slash fiance. I can't remember if he said they were married before he converted or not, but he like went into it. Like I will break her spirit in this belief. And he could not like, he wanted to find the answers to prove her wrong. And he ended up undoing himself. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Like it's, uh, the, I forget who said it, but basically, um, like if you're really stalwart, it, it has an effect and what we get to be stalwart about is like, unlike any other faith gets to be stalwart about. Like, well, what does that mean? It's like, to be Catholic means I truly believe, let's say I'm evangelizing Xavier or Anthony. I truly believe that God wants you to have life, that he wants to affirm your nature to the core, that he wants to give you safety and like, he wants you to feel totally supported in the work that you are doing. And the best way for that is for us to have 100% Xavier, to have 100% Anthony. What does 100% mean? To have a full relationship with him as brother, as cousin, as colleague, etc. And it's like, in order to have that, basically, what's really helpful is the relationship with Jesus. And it's like, it's free 99. Like, anybody can have that. Like, I can't think of any other faith that makes it that easy to evangelize. All we want is for people to be truly 
themselves according to truth. Sounds like how it's supposed to be. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like and yeah, it's a pretty yeah. easy sell. Like one thing I like to just kind of remember a little tongue in cheek is like when the when the Israelites or when the first missionaries were going out to the new nations, you know, the new world, etc. It was amazing growth really fast because they essentially showed up and said, your gods like want you to kill your babies. You probably don't like doing that. Uh, Our God doesn't. You want to join his team. Like that's such an easy sell. Yeah. And we still, like I used to kind of think that, man, that would have been a nice time to live in. (laughs) No more sacrificing your children to an angry God who kills your crops. I wish we had that situation. We still do, though. Absolutely. It's basically like, hey, you are probably kind of miserable chasing the wrong things and not finding fulfillment. I've got that. I know the path. And I want yeah. to share it with you for your sake. Xavier, that, that, th- this is like the, the conversations we need to have where it's like, how does Christianity change people's lives? And it's like, yeah, like you're chasing like the, the next car, the next something, and you're tired of chasing Another thing I like to say is, like, just look at the Holy Family. Who wouldn't want to be a member of the Holy Family? Like, we have Our Lady truly expressing herself all the time. We live in a society that is starving to be heard and is terrified to hear. And we can tell them, just look at Our Lady. She's living what you want to have. You want to be understood, you want to be known, and you want to know others. Uh, We have a society that is constantly, constantly saying, like, don't dream, <laughs> you know, like, uh, particularly in a man, like, just be quiet, do what you're told. And what can we show them? Like, St. Joseph, like, 50% of what we know about him in scripture is he dreamt. He had dreams. And he led. Right? Imagine, like, if you go to a church, a Catholic church, and the priest gets on the pulpit and says, Xavier. Anthony, well, uh, it'd be really interesting if you called you out in the pulpit. <laughs> but, you know, he said, hey, everybody here, tell all of the men in your life, your brothers, your grandfathers, your fathers, your cousins, your sons, uh, that in the Catholic Church, we need their leadership. We need them to come to this church to use their strength, to use their skills, to use their leadership, and they will find purpose. Mm-hmm. Gosh, how hard would it be to bring Matt? Like, not hard at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of something I thought earlier when you were talking about the way Mary shares her experience and emotion. And I thought our culture, at least in some places, does that really well. Like, we've all heard the phrase, like, lived experience, my experience. Mm-hmm. But then it's, like, that's good. But then it gets tied to my truth. Mm-hmm. It disconnects from truth, and that's the break. And then on the other hand, we have that maybe that's probably more of a feminine way of expressing because it's more natural to the feminine genius to be that emotional way. So they lean into that in our culture, but they miss, they're missing the truth part mm-hmm. or the strategy from the dreaming part. And then on the other hand, we have men who are like, I don't want to express my emotions. It's a trap, etc. I'll just follow these rules and, and like do the thing and stick to the truth or maybe a secular form of like live a good life by discipline or something like that. But it's missing that expression. It's like each of these things is still present, but broken in our society. And that's something we can point to and be like, Hey, you, this is good. You like this. Like 
your experience is valid mm-hmm. and I want to val- validate it, but we also need to connect it to truth and express that in a way that can be heard mm-hmm. as opposed to bludgeoning the person who's highly experiential, emotional with hard truth because that's the right thing to do. And on the flip side, not drowning someone who's more into the doing things part, less expressing with, from their perspective, like soft, doughy, whateverness. Yeah. Like like the, the biggest thing when you're saying about like all the subjectivity in the culture, uh, and, and I love how you said my truth versus your truth, because um, that, that basically summarizes the subjectivity, right? Um, when people typically say that's my truth and that's your truth, what they mean to say is I don't, I don't actually want to hear you. And the reason within that, this 2023 context, that is a great sell for us Catholics is because not only does our lady self-express, but we also have confession. Why does confession matter? Um, and let's say a lot of circles that believe my truth versus your truth. If you believe the wrong things, they will kick you, kick you out of the group. And it is very difficult to identify a mechanism by which you can be reintegrated into the group. Cancel culture. Lacking in forgiveness. Exactly. Forgiveness is so important to Catholicism. It is literally in the creed. Do you know of any other faith that forgiveness is in their like top most important things? Secular or otherwise. Hmm. My first thought was AA, like 12 steps, but that came out of Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, And then even when you look at the line, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Like what? The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints is all mentioned in the same breath as the forgiveness of sins. And then after that, there's the resurrection of the body. <laughs> forgiveness is huge. And again, you know, why are people starving to be heard and are terrified to listen? Because there isn't a mechanism by which they can be reintegrated into the group and other uh, groups within the states and possibly other, other countries. When in Catholicism, we are all about reintegrating people into the group. In fact, it's a sacrament. That's perhaps, it's a bitter and massive irony, I guess, which is the claim of what would be moral relativism is everything's fine. You do you, I do me. You know, people say that you do you. But what results is actually like the most opposite thing, which is, what's the word I'm looking for? Like moral certitude, moral barriers, boundaries. Um, closeness. It's like it claims to be this super open thing, but as you said, it tends to be the people who use that language who are the most likely to cut you out of their life. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, again, huge claims in our faith. Like, um, uh, unfortunately, I talk with people who like literally stop talking or, or a family member has stopped talking to them and they would like to evangelize that family member. And it's like, oh, dang it. You know, like there's that cancel culture again. And Catholicism says relationships can be difficult. With virtue, um, you can, you know, Christ makes all things new. And like keep at it. 
right? Living, uh, oftentimes in Catholic land, we talk about truth a lot. Uh, truth, say, regarding abortion. As in, don't they know the truth that those uh, fetuses in the womb are more accurately described as children? Okay. Or the truth about uh, human relationships, etc. It's like, I'm crazy about, I, I'm like a huge fan of delving into the truth that St. Joseph delved into, which is the truth regarding family. Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. That baby will be your son. That identity with that truth underpinning the family relationship has certain responsibilities. And I think that's one of the greatest heartache right now in American society, why a lot of people are wrestling with the concept of identity, because identity and truth come with responsibility. And sometimes fulfilling that responsibility can be incredibly painful. It's like, wow, th there's a lot of history under, you know, a lot of water under that bridge. I don't want to go back to talking to that family member. Um, and it's like we have this one-two punch in Catholicism where it's uh, acknowledging the lived experience. Like, yeah, that's hard. And then on the other hand, it's like, hey, we have virtue. You know, hey, we have the sacraments to strengthen us on our journey so that we can uh, attempt to have, like, uh, a, a made whole relationship through Christ sort of thing. Um, and that that's what I love about our faith. Like, that's what I love about the Holy Family. It's mercy. It's truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any questions, Anthony? Earlier, Jose, you'd mentioned you wanted to talk about um, kind of men's ministry. You can't touch on it a little with like, what if we just invited men to lead? But you were really excited about it before we started recording. So what, what do you want to say? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, I love men's ministry. And a lot of it is like telling the story of St. Joseph. How can we be just like dad? And the reason I mentioned that is a lot of times people say like uh, St. Joseph was just really silent, really quiet. And if I gave you like an, a biography of a U.S. president and didn't quote, quote him at all, could you then assume that he was very quiet? You might wonder. You might wonder. But it's not like, well, how did he communicate? Exactly. Did he use hand signals? Yeah, and I'm just like, okay, so so there's, and then on top of that, there is a quotation we can attribute to Joseph. Hmm. Like it's not expressly stated like he said, uh, but you know, it, we have it in Matthew. It's like, and you shall call his name Jesus, and Matthew one twenty five, and uh, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So if you wanted to write a quotation, you know, for Joseph of Nazareth, it would be literally the sacred name. And what does this mean for men? Like, Joseph wasn't just, um, how do I put it? He wasn't just a butler. Like, he did exactly what the Lord commanded him to. He proclaimed with authority who that baby was. And I firmly believe that to have a thriving men's ministry, it's like you have to encourage men. You have you, you in the style of St. Joseph, boldly proclaim with authority who Jesus is. 
And if we do that, that is ultra low-hanging fruit. How many organizations out there anywhere for any sort of reason are telling men, hey, you should, with authority, proclaim something? Like, never have I ever, right? <laughs> so that's one. The other thing is, like, he leads, uh, I think, his fourth dream. It literally says, and because Archelaus was ruling in the stead of King Herod, his father, uh, he was scared. And being warmed in a dream, he went into Galilee. By then, probably the Blessed Mother was more, you know, older and could, like, tell him stuff. And perhaps uh, baby Jesus could formulate words. Um, it's like, wait a second. He's leading Mary and, Joseph and Jesus. How many sins do you know? are leading Mary and Jesus. One. <laughs> and it's like, so then, but it's not because Joseph in and of himself is greater than God or anything like that. Gosh, no. What is he waiting for to lead? He's waiting to hear God's will through the angel of the Lord. So his leadership is totally tied to submission to truth and submission to God's will. And it's like, man, what's the story for a men's ministry then? Learn virtue, learn the scriptures, uh, run, do not walk, run towards the sacraments. And there you will find your leadership. And again, how many people are telling men out there, hey, you should become leaders? Yeah, never have I ever, right? Well, there there are voices, but they're not necessarily good. You know, have you heard of... Um, <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a phrase going around now. It's called Mantube, meaning this kind of group of neo-masculinity growing in like the social media YouTube realm where it's a rejection of feminized masculinity, but also a rejection of good femininity and like embracing some of the good parts of masculinity but some of the not good parts of masculinity or the twisting of masculinity. Yeah. But like, that's the voice out there now. So if you're like a young man and you go, Hmm, I don't like this current culture. You go on the internet. You're like trying to find a male figure. Maybe there's not a good man in your life. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you just, you know, went to school and all you were ever told is sit down, don't act out. Men are bad. That's the voice people find. That's the voice people find. Yeah. yeah you're right. And that is not a good voice. In particular, again, because we look at Mary and Joseph. And and it wasn't that Mary was this nondescript person that Joseph had to care for. Mary was his wife. Um, so it's, again, like, I'm sure they had conversations. And he heard her emotions. I mean, if she's just telling everybody in front of the temple that she's anxious, I'm sure she told Joseph uh, something sometimes, uh, at least sometimes. Um <laughs> And again, Joseph wouldn't have been able to fully ex express his identity if not uh, as a husband, if not by also interacting correctly with Mary. Uh, that's that's necessary. And the other thing, for, from a more secular perspective, why why the man tube talkers are, are not super good uh, is because, again, if we reduce their statements to like their their essential parts. Essentially, it's like at one point the most the, the the most distilled version is be afraid. Like 
femininity or and, and this is according to Mantube, like femini- femininity in its current form within the legal framework, etc. They represent a danger. Uh, therefore, this is why you should comport yourself this way. Otherwise, a negative outcome will occur. Therefore, reducing those statements to the to the bare essentials is be afraid. Uh, our faith is so much better than that. <laughs> our fra- our faith is you know uh, uh, be prudent, be just, be temperate, uh, be courageous. Like, not only can you lead, but you can also have a thriving relationship with woman. And one of the 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 mercies um, of Mary and Joseph having uh, a Josephite marriage, one where there wasn't uh, a corporal dimension to, is that when we look at how Joseph makes decisions and how Mary communicates, it shows just how central, likely to their relationship, was the word. When you look at the Magnificat, it's basically uh, some um, slightly modified quotations from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And why do I love that? I love that because uh, it means Mary expressed herself to her cousin using the word of God. Like how beautiful is that to think of the Blessed Mother being so close and intertwined with the word of God that she literally talks with the word of God. Then when you look at St. Joseph, like he does not move a finger. He does not speak a word in the scriptures. Uh, without being totally confident that it is based on capital T truth and it is according to the Word of God. And in both of their incredible devotion to the Word and finding life in the Word and purpose, etc., it's like, wow, of course, that's how that marriage made sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And therefore, then, why would a relationship between man and woman be dysfunctional? You might posit, oh, perhaps there's not enough Word of God in it. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Holy Family. They're, they're like really great. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've been going for almost two hours now. I think we covered a lot of great things. And at otherwise, to go further, we'd probably have to deep dive into individual ones. And that's not really within the scope of this. So how do people find you? And maybe quickly again, what are the services you offer? Yeah. Okay. So the best way to find me is on uh, my website, start at the service. Dot com. And my email is jose at startattheservice.com. And again, uh, coaching, workshops, retreats, um, all this and more. Um, and again, it's for these like ultra practical uh, evangelization skills. So you can have like this thriving um, evangelization. So evangelization is life giving for you so that you can talk like Our Lady, so that you can dream like St. Joseph so that you can make things new with Jesus Christ. And do you have any um, like free resources for people if they want to get a taste? Uh, th- this podcast. Okay. <laughs> so, Maybe in the future. <laughs> Maybe in the future. <laughs> so play, th- play this again and take notes. <laughs> play this again take notes. I also did a podcast at USCCB. Uh, that one, mm-hmm. um, uh, Made for Love podcast, uh, that sort of thing. Okay, great. This stuff will be in the description as well. So if you want to click down there. And find Jose and maybe work with him for your parish, yourself, your family, your ministry, etc. Okay. 
Yeah. Thanks, Jose. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank it was a great, Appreciate great it. pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for listening, especially those people who make it all the way through to the end, whether it was one sitting or you came back to it. Um, I'm just really grateful that you guys actually listen. It's a very strange experience. We're just three guys in a room, and there's thousands of you out there. And I'm really grateful to you guys and you gals and women. It means a lot, and I hope you get as much out of this as we do. With that, have a great day, and God bless. We hope you were inspired by this podcast, and we encourage you to share it on social media and warmly invite you to distribute our Catholic scapulars, medals, books, and booklets to your family, friends, parish, and social groups. Visit us online at catholiccity.com for more information. The real work of the Mary Foundation is accomplished by people just like you. There are three ways to help. First, please pray for everyone who hears, reads, or wears our materials. Second, share them with everyone you know, family, friends, fellow parishioners, and the people you work with. Only you can reach them. Finally, Please help us financially. It seems impossible, but we don't do traditional fundraising here at the Mary Foundation. We rely on your generosity and God's providence. By the way, if you, your parish, or your Catholic group would like to distribute our materials by the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands, all we ask for is help covering our materials costs. So please visit us online for suggested donations. For our Canadian friends and those outside the United States, only online requests are accepted, so please refer to the special shipping rates listed on our website. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to working with you. May God bless you always. And now, here's a short preview of our Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet, the most popular rosary recording in the history of the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For an increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. All rights are reserved and any duplication without permission is prohibited.